Hello, everyone. This is Manoj Tandon, your host of Security Confidential. Uh, welcome to another great episode. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Uh, he is John Shugarian, and John's got a great background. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of ERI. And for those of you who don't know, ERI is the largest fully integrated IT and electronics asset disposition provider and cybersecurity focused hardware destruction company in the United States. Try saying that five times real fast. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but in addition, when he has his spare time, he's writing books. He is the co-author of the number one best-selling book, The Insecurity of Everything, How Hardware Data Security is Becoming the Most Important Topic in the World. And then what, whatever little time's left, he is also the host of the Impact Podcast. So uh, welcome to the show, John. Thank you for being here. It's wonderful to have you. Manoj, it's an absolute uh, pleasure and honor to be here with you today. Uh, you know, there's so many questions to get through. I, I hope we can... Uh, we can get through them, but uh, you know, whenever we have someone that's been as successful as you and has built um, success on their own and and an entrepreneur, we'd love to get a little bit about your background. You know, what was your origin as an entrepreneur? How did you get into this? Yeah, my dad, my dad, and my grandfather were both were, were Armenian immigrants. My grandfather was an Armenian immigrant, came to New York City, and opened up. Uh, one of the first uh, Oriental rug stores on Fifth Avenue in New York and basically yeah. sell Persian rugs. And uh, my, my, my father then uh, uh, took my grandfather's success and, and uh, grew it by opening up a printing uh, shop in New Jersey. So we were in the printing business and the rugs in the printing business growing up. So I got to see two great entrepreneurs at work who worked tirelessly to um, give their children and grandchildren uh, better opportunities in terms of education, which is, the, you know, the classic immigrant story in this in this great country of ours. It's an immigration nation, as you and I both know, Manoj. Yep. And um, and I, I got the opportunity to go get a great education. But I realized that I really didn't want to um, go the classic route. I wanted to follow my my uh, Armenian roots and become an entrepreneur. And um, my mom was a social worker. So you take social worker and entrepreneur together and you get social entrepreneur. Now there was no social <laughs> entrepreneur uh, classes or, uh, or classic learning when I was a kid, I'm 60 years old. So I had to go find my way and, and then discover what that meant. And so I did I did traditional stuff. I did real estate development. And on one of my real estate developments, it was in LA during the uh, what was then called the Rodney King riots, which are now called oh, I remember the LA that. riots, right? Yeah. Um, I, I got the opportunity after those riots when the city was all um, battling with each other ethnically and culturally to meet a guy named Father Greg Boyle. And we started together Homeboy Industries. And Homeboy Industries became a great beacon of hope for urban renewal and jobs uh, for young people that are impacted by gangs and other negative influences in society. And it was at that moment I realized, oh. okay, aha, uh -huh, social entrepreneur. You, you can make a good profit, but also you can make an impact and you can make a difference. And at that point, then my wife and I took that experience and everything we went into after that had to make a profit. Yeah but also had to make an impact and make the world a better place. And that's what we did with all of subsequent businesses. This is maybe, I'm not even sure what number startup this is now, but 
some of the more uh, relevant startups along the way that I'm really, really proud of are financialaid.com, which I co-founded with my two wow. partners, Mike and Matt O'Brien in 1998, which sounds wow. like 24 years ago sounds long ago, but that was the year Google started as well. And, That's right. and uh, we got very lucky with that and that became a big success. And that then le that led to this um, ERI and we started ERI. ERI was started in 2002 by, um, by one of my co-founders and I had met him in 2002 when he started it while I still had um, financialaid.com and we became great friends going to sporting events and things of that such together. Yep. And then when we sold financialaid.com, he said, can you come and bring some of that magic over to this company? Because we're doing a lot of business and doing a lot of volume, um, but we need some help and we need to make a profit. And we turned it around and we renamed the business and brought it to Fresno, California uh, from San Diego. And, uh, and, and then off to the races we went from 2004 on, late 2004, early 2005, we were off to the races here at ERI. And you guys have been immensely successful. But would you say then, this explains a lot of things that, you know, you, you've had, you know, with mom being a social worker and, and dad being an entrepreneur, doing businesses that do good for others. That, yeah. Is that the secret to success? Do you, when you start a business, should you look at doing good, providing something first and the money second? Or do you look at the money first and then doing good is a natural outcome. Which well, way, which way does this work? That's a great question. And, 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 and let's give it some context. When I started doing homeboy industries, which was started originally as homeboy tortillas, which we morphed into homeboy industries and then financialaid.com and, 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 um, discussed openly the, the, the need to make an impact to give something back. So with financialaid.com, we democratize student lending. So we, we did that service for free for parents and for students out there. We took what was a very complicated and what the students told us, what was also a very embarrassing process for them. And we put it online. When you think, wait, wait, wait a second. Why didn't Sally Mae do this first? Why didn't do a, a lot of others? We just got lucky and we got the right URL. We put our heads down. We hyper-focused and, um, and it wasn't really um, culturally cool to to do good while you made money. Money was, remember, that was still the Gordon Gecko era of right. greed is good. <laughs> greed is good. Ivan Bolsky, Gordon Gecko, you know, the great, you know. The, the, the original first, Wall Street. <laughs> original Wall Street. So, um, but now uh, I what I share with uh, students or other young entrepreneurs, Manoj, is this. you got to make a profit before you can make a difference. You can't, you, you, you know, you have to have a sustainable business yourself before you go preach about ESG and sustainability and carbon neutrality and making, making the world a better place. Whatever making the world a better place is in your situation, you've got to be viable as a, as a company. Then you could Great. use that business as your platform to make the changes that you're interested in effectuating. And that's how it really should work. That that's uh, a brilliant answer, and I think uh, there's going to be a short excerpt on that. So <laughs> uh, th that's that's wonderful. Now, there's a lot of listeners who are, are much younger than you and I, John. Yeah. Who who are you know starting off in cybersecurity, or they are you know just beginning their journey in their careers, and they've thought about becoming an entrepreneur. Is there 
anything you would say to them based on your wealth of experience that mm. what they should think about before they are ready to make the jump? Yeah. You got to you got to do a real honest self-assessment of yourself. Some even though it looks really fun and when you watch the Zuckerbergs of the world or the Gateses of the world or the or the Elon Musks or Bezoses, yes, there's something very very alluring and sexy about being an entrepreneur. And given you and I are serial entrepreneurs that um have come back for the punishment time and time again, um we we know it is a wonderful way to live, but you, it's not everybody's cut out for it, honestly. And you have to really be honest with yourself. Is this something that you want? You know, um, it, it's when you study the great ones, folks who are great at anything they do, um, whether that's the Jordans or the Brady's of the world, the goats or the, the Martin Luther Kings and the yep. Queen Elizabeth's and the Winston Churchill's, you know, there's no such thing as work-life balance. Um, most people who have a nine-to-five job leave their job at their office when they go home. Folks like you and me, it, 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 be it becomes a blend and life becomes blended with what you do. And if you love it that much, it's a joy and a pleasure to do it. But you have to be prepared for that blend and understanding that you're not going to be ever leaving uh, it behind at any office whatsoever. It will be with it. you 724, 365. And that's the life of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And it's, it's that what you're saying is absolutely true. And it's imposed upon you. There, there's no way around it, actually. I mean, uh, I can tell you that there's not been a single day when I could predict what would happen on that day. It's always been <laughs> something new. And, uh, Right. And, 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 and the nice thing about us as we've evolved and gone and started numerous businesses and gotten older and hopefully gotten a little maybe wisdom, maybe perspective is that the one thing that does come with successful entrepreneurs that continue to, um, make successful businesses and, and move on and do others is pattern recognition. So pattern recognition is something that, uh, that that should come to us because we've put the 10,000 or 20,000 hours in and and that's what we get with both age and experience and um and and doing this and and, and honing our craft over and over and over again you know i gotta admit i had never thought of it that way so yeah. i learned something new today thanks for that insight there john sure. that that that's really good uh, go getting to eri yeah uh, you know you guys are capable of i think i read a billion pounds of recycling a year so yeah. of electronics recycling yeah. a year yeah. that's that's massive that's um a, a lot <laughs> that's just the electronic waste side but there's also the data destruction aspect of your yeah. business which uh and you guys have i think you were one of the first companies to achieve SOC 2 compliance on that we're we're the only recycler in the world and this is still a shock to me to say this out loud and even for my own ears to hear it while i share it with you again Manoj. Um, we're the only recycler in the world of electronics and data destruction company in our, in our industry that sucked to com compliant and certified. So how, how does that, how does that work? You know, there, there's so much, um, I think 
I, I want to say there was an episode of Dirty Jobs on this topic. And so my knowledge about recycling is is limited to that, I, I will freely admit. Yeah. But what, what I understand is that when electronics are recycled, there and we all know it, if we're going to drop this iPhone off, there's a huge amount of data on this. 100%. If we drop a, our cameras off or a hard drive or a SSD or whatever it might be, what are you guys doing when those devices come across your uh, recycling pallet? It's a great question. Um, and and it, it depends on a couple of things. It depends on the client, first of all. You know, all we represent, just so you get a little bit of a, a setup here, the city of LA, the city of New York, we have their, those contracts, and we have about 800 cities across America between those two coasts, okay. including your great city as well. Pittsburgh. Secondarily, we represent the big OEMs, Samsung, LG, and every OEM you could think about, we work for, both in the United States and around the world. Then when you think about the big retailers, we're the group that, that created the take-back program in 2006 and seven with Best Buy and manage their take-back in their stores, Staples, Costco, Amazon, Target, the list goes on. So, we're seeing a varied amount of electronics, both big and small. So it depends on the, the generator of the old electronics. Some are must destroy and some have contracts that say, Hey, whatever get, that can be fixed and retested and repackaged and resold, do that because that's a very legitimate and credible form of recycling too. Of course, those materials also have to go under the DOD 7, 7 wipe system where you destroy all the data that's inside of them and, and retest it and make sure the data is gone. That's a complicated and serious issue as well and go as part of the process. So there's a couple of things that happen. The materials come in. We see who the materials are from. If it's refix and resell, then that's what we do with those materials. And then that material is resold into both the domestic markets and secondary and tertiary markets around the world. M most likely the materials come in and they're under a must destroy. We, okay. we do the work for Department of Homeland Security, for the FBI and many other three letter, letter agencies. They want must destroy. So that material comes in. And if it's, if there's a, if there's any glass involved, we pull the monitor or the glass out of it. The rest of it then goes into what we've de designed and built proprietarily, the world's largest electronic waste shredders. And those shredders okay. shred these materials into what it becomes. And this is sort of an order of volume. Shredded steel, shredded okay. plastic, shredded aluminum, copper, and then the precious metals, gold, silver, lead, palladium, etc. And all those materials, here's the great part of the story. All those materials get sold back to smelters and they go back for beneficial reuse. So this is a zero landfill business. We just opened up our ninth facility wow. in Goodyear, Arizona. We have nine facilities, uh, 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 1,200 employees, and we're, we're processing millions of pounds of electronic waste every day. And none of it's going to a landfill. And that's the exciting part of what we're doing right now. Wow, that's fantastic. And and out of curiosity, how much, like, in a billion pounds, how how much gold, silver, pre precious metal stuff comes out of it? Honestly, that's the curious side of me. I mean, no, it's a great question. And I wish I was <laughs> I wish I was a mathematical genius and could do the math for you. But here's the interesting part. We got in the business, well, my partner, Aaron Blum, 
who started the business. I have four co-founders, my wife, Tammy Shigarian, my co the co-founder, Aaron Blum, who started the original company under a different name in 2002, and my partner from financialaid.com, Kevin Dillon, who grew up with Aaron. So that was the connection. And so the four of us started this, uh, re-jump-started re it in late 04, early 05. Back then, electronics had a lot more, a lot more precious metals in them than they do today. They still have a load of them in them. Um, but interestingly enough, Manoj, copper is one of the uh, the the, the uh, commodities that and material resources that's in very short supply. Why? With the electric electrification of the planet, EVs yep. and other other great technologies that you know the Elon Musk's are coming out with, and other great entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, um, we need more copper than exists on the planet. So recycle copper is more valuable than ever before. And wow. when you look at the statistics of, 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 um, uh, of the delta of differential of volume that exists and pull on the demand from 2000, 2025 on, that delta is going to widen every year for the next 20 years after that. So recycle copper, recycle nickel, recycle cobalt, the stuff that we need for all these EV cars and all these new manufacturers that are coming out with all these uh, great cars and trucks, by the way, um, is, is tremendous. So the recycled material, which was continued, which basically when we got in the business, everyone said, ah, oh, you don't want to be in the commodity side. Now everyone's real excited that we handle all these commodities. And the other interesting thing is the OEMs also want to buy back these commodities from us because they want to make their new cell phones, which you just held up yeah. and, and their new laptops and printers out of more recycled material because their constituents, the young people that are voting with their wallets and their pocketbooks are want to buy greener, more sustainable products. Absolutely. And that genie is out of the bottle and it's going to continue to grow. And, and that's a good thing for the planet. I, 100%. I can't, can't argue with that one. But, you know, you're looking at the growth of EVs, electric yeah. vehicles. Yeah. Do you... Do you see a recycling problem coming in the future with those? Because uh, there's a massive amount of lithium in those products, not well, to mention all the other things you mentioned. I, I got very lucky in life, Manoj. You know, some and this goes back to your question a, a couple minutes ago about being an entrepreneur. As you and I both know, having done as many, you're on your fifth startup. I'm on. I'm similarly situated as you, fifth, sixth startup. We are going to put the hard work in. We're going to give our blood, sweat, and our tears, our money, our time, our resources. But any entrepreneur that doesn't give luck its fair due is just not being honest with themselves. So I got very, very lucky numerous times along the way here at ERI. I'll give you a couple of examples. In 2008 and nine, we built what was then, and it still is, the world's largest and most sophisticated electronic waste shredding machine. Because of that, a company named LSM&M, which is, which is an offshoot of the LG family, the Koo okay. family from South Korea, they own the second largest copper and precious metal smelter in the world. They came knocking on our door and they wanted to make a strategic investment in us and take a board seat in our company. And they took a minority investment and then they get every month all of our printed circuit boards, 
which have are shredded printed circuit boards, which have low grade copper in them and all the precious metals, okay. uh, including some of the other offshoot metals like lead and other things. And they get to recycle all those materials and put it back into uh, uh, beneficial reuse and back into uh, the circular economy. That's great. A year later, I got very lucky and was introduced to Klaus Kleinfeld, then the CEO of Alcoa. And he made a similar investment for the similar reasons he wanted the shredded aluminum. Fast forward about 10 years to about two and a half years ago, and I was introduced to J.B. Straubel. And okay. J.B. Straubel was the co-founder of Tesla. And right. him and, and his late wife, Boriana, had, had, were very proud of, of working at Tesla and being the co-founder of Tesla with Elon Musk and making the world a better place by creating these wonderful EV cars. But what JB realized along the way is that these batteries were going to become a problem at some point. So he branched off in uh, uh, 18 and 19, 2018 and 19, and he stayed on as an advisor, obviously, and a friend to Elon Musk and, and Tesla, um, which he had run for many, many years. And uh, he opened up what is called Redwood Materials. And okay. they recycle the EV batteries from both EV cars and also the, the lithium ion batteries that come out of EV cars, but also out of electronic gadgets. Well, I went over and met with him a couple of years ago back in uh, Carson City, Nevada. And then a week later, he came over here to Fresno, California. He saw our technology, saw our methodology, and he did the same thing Alcoa and LS uh, M&M did. And that's... That's where the luck really comes in because to have the knowledge base and the visibility of the Koo family, the Alcoa uh, family, and then and now J.B. Straubel, who's one of the most unique human beings on the planet of 8 billion people who start one of maybe these 8 or 9 or $10 trillion companies. Manoj, I lost count. Alexei, yeah. he's one of the only co-founders of those, those, those companies. You know, to have him on... Uh, board as a for perspective and he takes all of our lithium-ion batteries from all our small gadgets he saw the future he knew that his business wasn't going to only be for lithium-ion batteries for ev cars that also there's a huge amount of consumer electronics around the oh. world that he needs to recycle that lithium-ion batteries that come out of consumer electronics and so he gets all those from us and uh, we're very proud of that partnership. But luck plays a major role in all of this. And I'm a very, very lucky guy to have all those groups as our partners. You know, and uh, I'm glad you said it because uh, it's uh, th that is an indescribable fact. And, uh, you know, Lady Luck has to play her hand. And, and in your case, not only lucky, but foresight. You, you yeah. guys have had the foresight. Uh, of changing market conditions and have been able to adapt to them very, very rapidly. And, and that has to be a good feeling because uh, not too many people pull that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But like I say, it's good to, it's great. It's as you and I uh, uh, have learned also, it's good just to stay humble. Because as Mike Tyson says, if you don't stay humble, the world will find a way to humble you. And Absolutely. So, right. <laughs> A hundred thousand percent. And you know what? The one lesson there is the markets don't care about your ego. The markets could care. give a heck about it. Uh, they, they will do what they want to do. And they have a way of humbling you 
if you have a way of challenging them. It's true. <laughs> yes, it's very true, Manoj. And but to the end of the Redwood story, the great news is he takes the batteries and he recycles a hundred percent of them. The lithium, the cobalt, the nickel, the copper, the black mass all goes into new batteries and into new materials. And that and so he's accomplished his goal and now Redwood Materials is the world's largest lithium-ion battery recycler. And again, he's in the same position we are. None of it goes to a landfill. Or That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great story. Well, it's not just the landfill, but you guys are actually, I, it'd be interesting, you know, amount, the amount of recycling you folks are doing, how does that impact uh, the mining chain on these precious metals? Because there's a lot of dubious people doing dubious things in that industry, right? And 100%. you guys might be um, helping curtail a little bit of that. At least it'd be nice to think that. Well, no, it's true. I mean, just 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 for an example, aluminum is the classic one, and I learned this through the eyes of Al, from Al, from Alcoa. When you recycle aluminum as opposed to mining it from traditional mining sources, it's a ninety four percent energy savings. So the carbon wow. offsets and the energy savings when you recycle these materials as opposed to mining them the classic ways is massively helpful to making the world a better place. That's incredible. I didn't know bauxite was that crazy to go pull out of the ground it is it is so you know let's let's switch back let's jump back to cybersecurity yeah. here real quick yeah, yeah. talk a little bit about hard uh hardware hacking yeah okay how serious a problem is it and give us your thoughts here okay when i started when okay so here's how this whole thing goes if you really want to know how the evolution happened again lady luck had 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 her hand on me in 2017 <laughs> but let me let me get there first Can you put a phone call into her for me i could yeah. use a little bit of her help here. <laughs> just tell me what you need i could whisper to her i have a direct line now. <laughs> at 60 she gave me a direct line she didn't let me have a direct line at 30 though she let me make every mistake on the planet at 30 um, but, um, so in 2011 and 12, we started realizing at ERI, wait a second, we've seen the advent of Palantir. We've seen the advent of life lockdown in Arizona yep. and this whole personal security thing becoming big. And we started seeing all these shredded trucks all around the United States. They became ubiquitous to cities and they're shredding yep. data on paper. So we started saying, how about data and hardware? And Manoj, nobody. But nobody, not a potential client, not a current client, not anybody in the media, nobody wanted to hear that story. Nobody cared one little bit about what we were saying. They said, oh, that has nothing to do with data security, nothing to do, makes no sense whatsoever. Until I was in a conference in New York City. It was a cybersecurity conference and I was on a panel. And the gentleman who hosted the panel, who was the moderator, was a man named Robert Hackett. Okay. Robert Hackett is the lead writer for cybersecurity for Fortune magazine. So after we finished making our remarks, there was three of us on the panel. He said, can I have your business card? I said, sure. Why? He goes, I'd like to talk to my editors about your comments today. And uh, true to his word, about a week, a week later, he called me up. He said, we are in shock here at Fortune. We've only covered, this was 2017, we've only covered the software side of cybersecurity and we've never covered the hardware sign, which we realize now through your eyes and your comments last week as a le very legitimate, incredible potential source of hardware hacking, yeah. of real hacking. He says, can we do a story on what you do at ERI? I said, of course. 
He was a lovely human being. He wrote a one-page story in Fortune magazine. Jamie Dimon was on the cover. I remember very well. And the name of the story was Dead But Not Forgotten. And the last sentence of the story is all that's important to your listeners. The last sentence of his article said this. It turns out that electronic waste is not only an environmental hazard, but a cybersecurity one as well. And Manoj, Lady Luck, took her lightning bolt and struck it on us again. And all of a sudden, we took that article and we took it to every potential client, every existing client, everybody else in the media and said, you see, we weren't lying. We weren't kidding. We weren't just making stuff up. And people started listening because Robert Hackett said it so. And that's how it went. That's... Wow, man, I got to tell you, you and Lady Luck have a, quite a relationship there. But well, but at the same time, um, a lot of what we're trying to do at Dark Rhino, it, yeah. it really, when you were telling this, I was thinking we're, tr- you know, when people think of cybersecurity, they're really just thinking software. They're really thinking technology. Right. Uh, and, and we're the first company out there that's saying it's not just technology, it's process its people but it's also let's combine it with the insurance side of things and make it a holistic solution it's not one thing there is no one silver bullet and then in our industry at least in in cybersecurity as in general uh they're always just looking for silver bullets they're looking for a technology technology needs enablement enablement requires process process requires people people you, and that if that chain is not functional i don't care what gadget you buy and then right. ultimately no gadget works 100% of the time that's right so you got to back up your risk somehow and that's, that's where insurance comes into play but insurance companies don't know how to manage that risk because cyber is something that's kind of alien to them and that's what we're combining. It's it's a lot like the lifelike model of uh, yesteryear. So when you mentioned that, I was like, I had a big smile on my face. I was like, well, that's brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant. To, frankly speaking, I've seen that as a massive opportunity for years. I think you're right on something, right on time. I think companies that do, take care and use appropriate services. Uh, both on the software side, which I know very little about, but I know on the hardware side, like a company like ERI, they should be getting insurance discounts in the cyber world as opposed to other people who are just going through the um, you know world and not even paying attention to their risks that are out there. That's your your spot on. Uh, but I can tell you, well, you could probably convince an insurance, a major insurance carrier to listen to you on that topic. Uh, <laughs> a little company like us hasn't been so lucky with with that effort. Um, right. But, um, you know, that brings up a point when the individuals, when you look at all the electronics that permeate our lives. Yeah. Okay. When we go and, or someone is thinking about throwing that out in the trash or yeah. recycling it, yeah. what is your guidance to them on things they should be doing before they even unplug that machine from the outlet or the charger? Yeah. Um, my, my guidance to all of your listeners, you know, we're, we're, we're now going into 2023 and there's nobody that I know, Manoj, that doesn't want their, their, children, their grandchildren, their family members, their friends to breathe cleaner air or drink cleaner water and just make the world a better and cleaner and nicer place. No matter what political affiliation or ideologies that people possess or 
are, are accustomed to. We all really believe in, in a cleaner environment. And so the first thing I have to say is electronics are becoming a bigger problem. I'll just set this up for you. When we got in the business, electronic waste was the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. Now, 18, 17, 19 years later, whatever you want to call it, here's the sad statistic. It's now not only the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world, it's the fastest growing solid waste stream by an order of magnitude of two to four times. The second go fastest growing wow. solid waste stream, which is single-use post-consumer plastic. So that's really sad. But why did that happen? We have the proliferation and the ubiquity of electronics. So on my hand, yeah. I'm wearing my aura ring. My aura ring yeah. is electronic waste when it comes to my Garmin watch, you know, right. the cell phone that you held up earlier, the, the, our EV cars, our Alexa, Nest, everything that we use now, um, ring is all electronics. We're surrounded. An oh, mom, my Alexa's even talking to me. Now. Yeah, there she Chill is. Out, Alexa. Chill out. <laughs> She's speaking up. But um, uh, you couldn't have timed that any better. All right. <laughs> but, but seriously, the ubiquity of electronics. So here's the deal. The sad statistics for your listeners to really hear is this. According to the United Nations, only approximately 17% of all electronics that are being used in the world are being responsibly destroyed and recycled. So the delta of opportunity for all of us to do better, all of us as stakeholders in the environment and, and also in data protection is massive. So don't, don't throw it in the trash because you just don't know nowadays who is going to be rumbling through any trash bin whatsoever. And the goal is to get your old electronics to a responsible recycler. Now, ERI has lots of great competition, lots of responsible recyclers out there that do the right thing. But unfortunately, there's more bad actors than good actors. So you have to really do your homework and make sure you, you, you know, use a good recycler. And if you're not going to use a good recycler directly, make sure the city that you live in, the municipality that you live in, or the retailer that you're dropping it off in actually is using a recycler that adheres to the best practices of data destruction and environmental protection. And I would imagine that minimally they should also wipe at least do some hygiene on the products, wipe them before you drop them, even at a responsible recycler. A hundred percent. As much as they can do, um, you know, you know, um, get rid of the old data as much to your knowledge base as possible. Some people are geeks and they know how to read the manuals or go online and know how to do the wipes and they do it themselves. Some people just take go the old school way and they take a hammer to it or they, or they drive a stake through it. And I've seen all sorts of, uh, 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 <laughs> type ways as well. It, it doesn't matter, uh, but as much as you can wipe the data and then get it to a responsible recycler. Correct. So I, you know, Fred Flintstone that conjures up an image, a guy <laughs> with a drill there going through, is it possible yeah. uh, that even if uh, someone has done the Fred Flintstone-esque yeah. technique, that that data is recoverable and it's really yeah, not. Unfortunately, we get to do data for, um, fortunately, we get to do the data for three-letter agencies and also um, DHS and other great, great folks like that. And yes, almost everything, when you get the best hackers working on anything, these folks are just sheer brilliant and they could, they could recover in time. They can recover almost anything. Yeah. So it's got, but now if it's shredded, no, that's kind of hard. 
No. And, and honestly, here's a funny story. There's many clients of ours, many clients, financial institutions, healthcare, and many others that have come to us and say, here's what you're going to do, John. You're going to do the seven wipe DOD NIST standard first. Okay. And then it's going into your, sh and then it's going into the world's largest shredder. And then directly from our shredder, the, what they love about us is directly from our shredder. They know it goes directly to our smelter partner. So the beauty of our company is we don't have any brokers in between. Our stuff goes directly from our facilities right to our smelter partners and our, you know, the big financial institutions, the DHS, the FBI and other, um, you know, uh, healthcare agencies that this has become an issue. Uh, of, 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 of paramount importance to all everybody now. So you're able to guarantee then that that data is gone. It's, it's, it's history. Gone. Yeah, it's history. And, you know, we didn't talk about, but one thing to, to bring up, Manoj, is this issue that happened along the way uh, called May of 18 came to EU GDPR. And yep. GDPR put in all the standards when it comes to privacy and the ability yep. for governments to now go after um, institutions uh, both public and private that are mishandling, uh, their clients or constituents data. And GDPR then came to America. And of course, as Washington goes, Washington just kept fumbling the ball and creating all sorts of different bills that never got passed. So the states started saying, we're not going to wait for you, Washington, to get your act together. We're going to pass our own versions of GDPR. So, so far about nine states have passed their own version of GDPR yep. and, and, According to cybersecurity experts that are much smarter than I am, every state in this nation will have their own version of GDPR by the end of 2025. Wow. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's just a matter of time before it becomes ubiquitous across the planet. I 100%. I, it, I don't see uh, that stopping, and I don't think it should be. I think... You know, people, I, I know that GDPR is causing a lot of heartburn in the tech industry to a lot of players, especially those who are making money off of data analytics. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it also allows you to anonymize the data and, and, right. still, and still use it. So, um, and protect people's privacy. Getting yeah. back to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go. No. I was going to ask, um, is there anything you can't recycle in the hardware world? People I, ask me that a lot. And your reporters called me a lot and they say, we spoke to this uh, recycler in, uh, in the UK and they said you can't recycle little ear pods. Minaj, everything's recyclable. The, now, let me be, be clarify. Yes, some things are more difficult than others. So ear pods, uh, little, those little buds that go on yeah. here made by all different manufacturers, they have lithium ion batteries in them. So they need to be recycled responsibly. Yes. Um, but they take more manpower to be able to delicately uh, take those uh, the plastic off, recover the batteries out, so the batteries can be go to to Redwood Materials in JB Straubel's place. Um, you just can't do that willy nilly. You can't hit it with a hammer because that could set off the battery itself and uh, and and damage the battery and create um, a, a situation where the battery will then for sure be more uh, 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 explosive, etc. Uh, and so, yes, everything can be recycled. Something's easier than others. That sounds like it's very labor intensive to actually recycle some of these. You got to pull these things apart then. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, people say, when can you, everything else, John's being automated. When can you fully automate your eye? The answer is never. And, the, and people say, but why? And here's why you go to CES 
And at CES, approximately 22,000 new SKUs a year come out at CES. That's besides the new SKUs that come out every year. Samsung with their own announcement, Apple with their own announcement, and other great uh, OEMs with their own announcements. So the, the, the innovation that has made the electronics industry so much fun and so interesting and made the world a better place in so many ways and kept us more connected than ever before. Also, the downside is we can't innovate fast enough to keep up with the OEMs to automate everything. Now, we've automated a lot. We have robotics, we have AI, we have the world's largest shredders in our facilities, and we're continuing to automate a lot of processes, but we'll never be able to automate to 100% no employees. We have right now about 1,200 employees. We used to probably have about 1,500. We're down to about 1,200, and, and our volumes are increasing month over month, year over year. So we are automating and using AI and robotics, but you're, there's always, they, you're always going to need a very good and healthy labor force to continue to clean up this very big issue of electronic waste. I also think then that perhaps um, your message should be heard by the OEMs themselves and they should design for sustainability so that at end of life, uh, why is it impossible for the consumer to pull that battery separately and do a just like we separate glass from aluminum from paper yeah. in our household recycling it's true. why can't that concept be carried forward but i'm a dumb guy so i no no you're not I, dumb I, you're on something very big <laughs> All, the oems when we first got in this business that wasn't part of their business model now most of the big oems send their engineers here to eri to one of our or, or you know numerous of our facilities and they want to really see how the recycling happens. They want to see the sticking points so they can make these products two things, more recyclable when they come to its end of life, but they also want to understand how much of our materials can they buy back, the shredded the shredded plastic, the shredded steel, the shredded copper, etc., to put back into new electronics. So they're very interested in this because their constituents say, you have to be now, you have to be. Now, do you have... Um any resources on your website or places where you can kind of point people to that they can learn a little bit more about how end of life uh, devices store data, you know, or yes, some of well, these things. Yeah. Well, I, my website has full of information on that, but here's a little bit of a holiday offer I'm going to make for you. Here's my book, the insecurity of everything. Any of your listeners that want a free copy of this book, which covers a lot that we discussed today and goes more in depth to devices, where they're stored, how to properly get rid of them, the different types of certifications uh, that people need to have, responsible recyclers need to have, such as NAID, National Association of Information Destruction, which was created for the uh, paper shredding industry, but then was recreated also now the last seven years to include hardware and electronics. All that information is in this book. I will mail a hard copy, well, it's actually a paperback, soft copy to every one of your listeners that want it for free if they give you their name and address and ask for their own free copy. Uh, you know what? We will make sure that uh, our producer gets that out post-haste and we'll get it out to all our social media and let people, you know, that's just a great, that's a very generous offer, John. Again, to Minaj, it's, it's, it's at the point that you and I are at in, in our careers it's great to be able to have the luxury to be able to help educate folks on what we're doing, why we're doing it, so they can make better and more informed decisions. That's, um, 
I, I'm hoping you're going to have a lot of takers. Now, is there a charity they can donate to that would get them a signed copy? <laughs> um, if, I got to ask the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I, if anyone, if any of your listeners want a signed copy, I'm happy to sign uh, copies for them and, and, and we'll mail them directly to their home or their office, a signed copy. So no problem whatsoever. <laughs> no problem. No charity, no donations necessary, nothing. I want to make this a full on offer for all your great listeners, uh, because what you're doing is such an important service and your podcast is doing such important work. Um, that that the ma mainstream media doesn't cover. And that's why I'm, like I said, I'm honored to be here and I'm just honored to help spread the education. So tell us about the book a little bit. Let's get into that, the insecurity of everything. What what else uh, is in there? Tell us about it here. It, it, just, it just basically explains the different certifications out there, how bad things happen to people who mean well, but um, just are unknowing. For instance, there's so many occasions where we've had, Manoj, and, and some of these examples are given in the book, where someone will call us and say, John, and they'll call from a three-letter agency in Washington, D.C., or some other federal agency, and they'll say, hey, we need to get a bid on cleaning out this warehouse in Virginia or in Maryland, and we'll yep. give them a bid, and the bid will be X amount of dollars for millions or sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds of electronic waste government electronic waste and we'll we'll we won't hear back from them and we'll say we'll call them back a month or two later see what well, well what do you do with this stuff oh they said oh well we took your price to our boss and our boss said no no use the other vendor the guy who said he'd come pick up those materials for free and Manoj, here's the great lesson time and time again we've learned there's no such thing as response it never is free for free there's not. You can't go to your doctor for free, your lawyer for free, your accountant for free, your investment banker for free. There's no such thing as free recycling for responsible recycling and data destruction. And so what happens to those materials? And then people come back to us and they ask us to help trace them. And there's all sorts of issues. And oh. the FBI has come to us and asked us to help track these materials. So what happens is those folks who pick it up for free typically put it in a container. They sell it to the highest bidder. Now, here's the story. 20 years ago, the highest bidder typically was in Asia who wanted to basically get the copper, the gold, the silver out of the materials. Now the highest bidder on many occasions, especially from containers coming from the East Coast, are in the Middle East because they want to pull the hard drives, destroy the carcasses by throwing them in oceans or deserts or burning them. And they want to try to reverse engineer either corporate or government secrets by just pulling the hard drives and buying these things by the container, which come off our shores of the United States of America. So that's what's in this book. These tales of, of, of disaster that can happen by benign neglect of well-meaning bureaucrats or other nice people who want trying to save a dime but could create a, a catastrophe because they're trying to save a couple dollars. That's the secure. That's the story of cybersecurity in a nutshell. In general, I could think that's of right. so many. I, I I have my own that I've seen many a times. Uh, in yesteryear, when we all used to travel so much prior to COVID, I have rented cars from our favorite rental car agencies. And how many times is the entire address book on that vehicle's? I never would have guessed when I got in this industry that those companies would be my clients. And for the reasons you just said, 
They're all becoming our clients. Not all of them yet, but one by one for the exact reason you said, because cars now are just a risk factor. Most people, they get in the car, they're rushing to their first appointment when they get to a new city. They're not, they're pressing all the accept buttons and all, and they're not even realizing what they're pressing. And as you said, everything on their lap or in their laptop is just downloaded into the it's car. It's into the, into the car. And, and uh, nine out of 10 times, they're not hitting the delete all button or reformat button when they return the vehicle. So <laughs> you're a hundred percent right. This is what's going gave on. It away. Well, John, we didn't even, we did not get through everything, but uh, we're at the top of the hour here. I do want to give you a chance. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything that you want, any appearances that you're going to be doing or upcoming articles, you know, books, uh, things of that, of that nature that you'd like to, you know, the, the real thing is I just wanted to say, I, I'm happy to, to give this a free copy, free copy, signed copy to any of your listeners uh, or viewers who would like to read more about this topic. If you want to learn more about uh, good environmental practices and data destruction practices, you can go to our website, www.eridirect.com. And if you want to contact me, I'm on LinkedIn. And, uh, and of course, my email address is on our website. And uh, uh, I'm very reachable. Uh, and uh, and I'm just, it's been an honor to be here today with you. It's been an honor to have you, John. Thank you so much for taking the time and bringing great insights uh, to this topic that's not discussed much. I, I got to say, I learned a heck of a lot. It's been fantastic. You're always welcome back. So let us know if you got anything new. We'd be happy to, to get your knowledge spread out there. I'll be back. All right.